Indeed, may the gospel of God's power and grace cause us to proclaim his name among the nations. May his praise echo across the globe. 2 Samuel 12. Continue the story of God's grace, abounding grace in the midst of man's unfaithfulness. All these passages cry out for the faithful king, don't they, Jesus? Page 309 in your pew Bibles. David stole Uriah's wife, killed Uriah to cover the deed, and then took the widow and married her. Then the Lord sends, he thinks nobody knows, he's covered the deed, but the Lord's eyes see, and he will not abandon David to his cover-up, praise the Lord. For how he rescues us from ourselves, congregation. 2 Samuel 12, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and He was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who was born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Our text begins here. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. And he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, and the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. 
But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. But he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. And he went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son. And he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah. Jedidiah, because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called by my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount, and he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them toil at the brick kilns, and thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. The story of two babies is a story of hope. Losing a baby is one of the hardest trials people go through in this life, whether through miscarriage or stillbirth or infant death. And even as you read a passage like this, you feel that pain instantly. And sometimes we guess at why God does this. I I know a dear old saint who's now with the Lord. She conceived a child out of wedlock, and then the child got sick and died when he was a little boy. And this mom believed that the Lord was punishing her for her sin, and she felt that way the rest of her life. But beloved... I want you to see in this passage of the birth of two babies to David and Bathsheba that this passage carries a message of wonderful hope from the Lord in the stories of both babies, not just one. In the stories of both babies. A message of wonderful hope in Christ Jesus. So maybe we be lifted up on the wings of that Hope in Christ. First, hope in the death of the first baby. We'll take most of our time there. And then, secondly, hope in the life of the second baby. Hope in the death of the first baby. Hope in the life of the second baby. 
Hope in the death of the first baby. David stole Uriah's wife. He murdered Uriah to cover his deed. Then he took the widow and married her. And as a result of his adultery, Bathsheba was pregnant. But the Lord saw and he knew the terrible sins of David. He graciously sent Nathan, the prophet, to expose him. And David wonderfully repented of his sin and the Lord immediately forgave him. His sin was gone. The Lord's displeasure was removed from David's life. The relationship between David and God was fully restored. But remember, the Lord also announced consequences, three, to David's sin, to humble him, to remind him of his sinfulness and need and of the Lord's powerful grace. These consequences would last a a lifetime. First, because of his murder, the sword would not depart from his house. There would always be conflict in David's house. He lost four sons. And one daughter was broken forever in this life. The sword would never depart from his house. Second, because of his adultery, his wives would be stolen from him and defiled in public. That would happen through Absalom, his son. And thirdly, Verse 14, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. The third consequence. The death of his and Bathsheba's baby was due to his utterly scorning the Lord. He'd blasphemed the Lord. He'd taken the Lord's name in vain. How? Remember, he's defiled Messiah's throne on whom he sits. And he would cause his enemies to blaspheme in the name of the Lord. Is this how Christians live? Is this what the church is all about? Forget it. He'd utterly scorn in the name of the Lord. Is this what it means to be a Christian? Is that what that looks like? Oh, how we scorn the name of the Lord. How we blaspheme him when we live in sin. Now, first glance, this seems totally unfair. David the criminal lives, and the innocent baby, relatively speaking, though conceived and born in sin, that baby is innocent of the crimes David has committed. David the criminal lives, and the innocent baby must die for his dad's sin. Matthew Henry puts it like this. Behold the sovereignty of God. The guilty parent lives and the guiltless infant dies. But all souls are God's and he may in what way he pleases glorify himself in his creatures. In the death of the first baby, we see three things. The first thing we meet here is pain, incredible pain. The child's pain, first of all. Look at that. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. And he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of his child. He's suffering. The baby is suffering. Overwhelmed by fever or something like that. 
He's dying, and for seven days his body goes through trauma until finally his life ebbs away. The child is afflicted. Then there's the pain of David who watches his baby suffering and stands helplessly by. But don't forget the mother's pain. Verse 24, we read, David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. What grief and anxiety Bathsheba must have gone through as she saw her healthy baby whom she conceived carried. She carried this baby. She bore him. And now he becomes sick and dies. How vain. It seems, how empty. Bring this child into the world for what? And again, it doesn't seem fair or right of God to afflict the child as a consequence of the father's sin. And we have to face here the sovereignty of God. The Lord afflicted the child. The Bible is brutally honest about that. The Lord afflicted the child. David's the one who should have died, but God chose to let David live and let the baby die. John Calvin writes, in this small child, God would show David what David deserved. And in our culture where the focus is on human rights, and there's a place for that, we tend to question the justice of God. How is God righteous in treating this baby this way? Well, we got to go further than the question of human rights to the creator's rights and end there. God's right to give life and take it away. And to take it away when and how he pleases, even when we don't understand what he's doing or why. We know the only wise God knows what he's doing and why. And his plan is always perfect, even though it can look so unfair and so useless from our perspective. Beloved, we can't stop at human rights. If we stop there and don't go further, we'll always be angry at God, always be at war with him, and always determine that we're more important than he, and then our lives are upside down. They're in reverse. And it'll just bring contempt and chaos into our lives. Because the proper order of life is when God is put first and his plan is honored as supreme. And we have to end up at the creator's rights and all that happens as the only refuge. It doesn't give us all the answers, but it gives us a safe place to rest. So we meet pain here. And the second thing we meet here is prayer. David goes all out in urgent prayer and fasting for his baby. We read there in verses 16 and 17, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted. And he went in and he lay all night on the ground. He's fully on the ground before the Lord. And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, and he would not. They begged him to eat, but he wouldn't eat food with them. You say, well, isn't this disobedient prayer? God said the child would die, and now he's praying that the child would live. Of course not. Like God telling Moses, I'm going to destroy the Israelite nation for its sin, and I'm, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and... Moses is not going to take that as as final. Well, he will if that's what God plans. But he beseeches the Lord for mercy. And he intercedes. And the Lord relents, remember? Because God uses also our prayers to accomplish his purposes. 
maybe the Lord will have mercy and spare the child. Even our Lord Jesus, who knew that it was God's will, the Father's will that he died, prayed that if the Father would allow, that this cup would pass from him. That's not a vain prayer. David was right to pray for mercy and to ask God to let the child live. He placed everything in God's hands in this situation and he prayed with fasting and fasting doesn't force God's hand but it adds focus and urgency to the one praying. And he prayed urgently and he waited patiently to accept in faith whatever God's answer would be. And he knew that his prayer was not in vain. He knew that his prayers reached the ears of a forgiving and merciful God who cared about David, cared for Bathsheba, and cared for the baby. No one is pained more than God in this situation. And brothers and sisters, uh, after all David has done, what right does he have to boldly approach the throne of grace and pray like? This is a testimony to the grace of God that you can be so wicked and then so forgiven that you can be so at one with God again and pray like this. It's amazing. It should encourage each one of us boldly approach the throne of grace in repentance and faith. He does not hear the prayers of the impenitent. But those who repent of their sin and believe in the forgiving love of God through Jesus Christ. We meet pain, we meet prayer, and the third thing, the power of hope in the death of the first child. The child died on the seventh day. Perhaps that's why we don't have a name because circumcision would be on the eighth day. And that's the day the child was named. He died on the seventh day. And the servants were afraid to tell David, if he's so upset while the child's living, what's he going to do to himself when he hears the child has died? But the opposite happened. He suspected something was up when he saw them whispering together and he asked them straight out, is the child dead? They said he's dead. And then to their surprise and amazement, he got up, he showered, he anointed himself with oil, he, he went to the temple to pray and worship, and he went home again and asked for, for supper. What's going on? And they ask him, wait, the time to mourn is now. But you mourned before, and now that he's dead, you stopped. Don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean that all grief is gone, but public mourning is over for David. We know that private grief continues in the way he will comfort Bathsheba after all this. But public mourning is over. What's going on? And David answers, while the child was still alive, verses 22 and 23, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. What 
powerful hope. The first child funeral I ever attended, the pastor preached on this verse. He shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. David is confident that he'll meet his baby again in heaven and in the resurrection. The baby will not live again here on this earth, in this world. But he continues to live with God in heaven and I'll meet him one day. Powerful hope. It leads David to worship and allows him to eat. Now, some take a minimalist view of this passage. I shall go to him just means that I'll end up in the grave with him. I don't think that's an adequate reading of David's actions and David's theology. David's actions, how he gets up, washes himself, anoints himself, worships God in the temple, goes home. These are expressions of hope, of joy, of trust. But also David's theology in the Psalms of the afterlife for God's children. I shall see the Lord again in the land of the living. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. David is assured that though God has not allowed the child to live long here on earth, the child's life is safe with God in heaven and one day David will join his son there in heaven and then in the resurrection. And then the pain will finally be fully taken away. What a hope for God's people, a hope in Christ. The Christ who said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Speaking of the nursing babies. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And how it says in the Bible that he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. Like he lifts up his apron shepherd's apron and puts the lamb inside and he gently leads those that are with young the power of hope if anybody should not have assurance and confidence about this baby's future it should be David who has committed such wickedness but as a child of God David has such strong assurance and hope So brothers and sisters, God gives David hope, Bathsheba hope, but he gives all his children hope in the death of the first baby. Can you see that? Can you grab that? Your circumstance is likely not exactly like David's. But it's real hope for all God's children whatever our trials, whatever our sins, whatever our afflictions. God does not afflict, the Bible says, the children of men in vain. It's not pointless, it's not useless. So we should not conclude when, as believers, we lose a child that this is a punishment 
of God on us. Rather, he's calling us to entrust our children to him in faith and prayer, whether they live a few days or a long life, knowing that in Christ our children too have life after death, and one day we shall see them. Well, let's see, secondly, hope in the life of the second baby. Then David comforted his wife, 24 and 25, comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And Jedidiah means loved by the Lord. This too, a passage full of comfort and hope. He gives to the same couple, David and Bathsheba, that wife stolen in adultery, a second baby. And I want you to notice the change from verse 15 to 24. In 15, that first baby is spoken of, one born to Bathsheba, who is Uriah's wife. She's called Uriah's wife. Even though David and Bathsheba are already married by this time, she's called Uriah's wife. Jump ahead to verse 24. Now she's called David's wife. And it's one with the tendencies of a Pharisee who would say, David or God, do not acknowledge this to be a real marriage, but God does. I don't get it. Except an outrageous grace that's too big for me to handle. But through David's repentance and by God's forgiveness and grace, God accepts this as a real marriage. And more than that, the second baby is named Solomon, meaning peace. Peace. And we know that this will be the one who will take David's place on Messiah's throne and be the next one in the line of Jesus Christ, the eternal king. Again, we want to shout at God, how could you use this scandal, this marriage to prepare the way for Jesus? I wonder if David thought after his sins against Uriah and Bathsheba and the Christ. I wonder if he thought with the death of the first baby, uh-oh, God's covenant with me, 2 Samuel 7, to have one of my sons sit on the throne and establish my kingdom forever. I wonder if God has rescinded that covenant. I see that in the death of this baby, that this covenant is over. I broke it. It's finished. And hope God's not finished with David or David's dynasty or God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom at all. Here comes Nathan a second time, 24, 25. Is he going to come with the same message? This child who's born to you shall die. No, the Lord loves him is Nathan's message. The Lord loves him. Now, that does not mean the Lord did not love the first child. We know he did. But it means that God has arranged a very special life and task on earth for this baby. The first baby must die for God and the second one must live on earth for a long time for God. 
They called baby Solomon. Nathan gave him another name. Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. Again, outrageous grace. God is continuing his love with David's family and David's kingdom. And why does God love him? You, you, you hear the sound of words that come much later. When the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal king, is coming out of the Jordan River after being baptized, and God the Father says from heaven, Jedediah, this is my beloved son. With him I'm well pleased. For Christ's sake, God loves Solomon. For Christ's sake, Solomon is Jedediah. And you say, well, what there is, in, is there in Solomon that the Lord would love him? Is he the oldest? No. Did he come from a perfect marriage? No. What is there? Nothing but the Lord's love. His grace, undeserved, unmerited. And brothers and sisters, you may know that in Christ, God loves you. And the reason for his loving you is not because you've been doing pretty good, quite a bit better than David. Or because you're of such a noble birth. This guy's got awesome ancestry, quite a pedigree. I, I'm, I really like him. No. It's grace. Because the true king is coming. And our sins will be nailed to him on the tree. And our unworthiness. And our pedigree. You go back in your family tree. There's a lot of bad stories. Thankfully we don't know most of them. That's all nailed to the tree as well. God forgives our pedigree. And he loves us. And I think of, of the, the pedigree of Jesus Christ. Remember in, in the, the, the dynasty, the royal family tree of David given in Matthew 1, or of Christ given in Matthew 1, when we have Judah and Tamar, Jesus is a child of incest down the line. We have Rahab, the prostitute. We have, remember, the third mother, Ruth, the idolater, the Moabites, the Gentile. And then we have Bathsheba and David. The Lord includes this in the history of God's people to teach us why Jesus had to come. He did not come for good people who are a little bit higher than the rest and worthy of salvation, he entered into a sinful line, a sinful race as a doctor for the sick. Jesus said, it's not the righteous who need saving, it's sinners who I'm calling to repentance and bringing salvation through faith. This is my beloved son, Jedediah. Brothers and sisters, there's so much hope for us in this passage. 
If your sin is very, very great, repent, seek the Lord, and do not underestimate what God can still do for you and through you as he did through David and Bathsheba. And continuing his kingdom. You know, the church can go through such sin and upheaval and it it appears so fragile and breakable. But thankfully, the kingdom stands not on the foundation of David or Solomon or of our obedience or how well we're doing. It stands on the foundation of God's covenant, God's word, God's works, God's grace, not man's works and not man's obedience. And that's why we're here. That's why the Christ came. That's how he came. And that's how he continues to gather a people to himself. It's an amazing story of hope. There's one more part to this story of hope, congregation, and how David renews the kingdom in the midst of Or God renews David's kingdom in the midst of David's great failure. It's that part of David who was complacent and proud and who stayed home from war. Now at the end of chapter 12, they're winning the war against the Ammonites. They're taking over the capital city, Rabbah. Joab gives one more chance to David. It's almost done. If you come and bring the rest of the soldiers... It's your victory. But if you don't, I'm going to name this city after me. And David gets restored to his work as king and protector of Israel and defender of God's kingdom. And he goes and takes some soldiers and brings them to Rabbah and he fights. And he conquers Rabbah and he conquers the king and he takes his 75-pound crown and puts it on his head. Imagine a 75-pound bag of feed and put it on your head. I don't think he wore it very long, but it was a symbol of the great weight of the victory that God has given to David after all this. Our sins are horrific enough to take down the kingdom. But God's grace is great enough to restore us kingdom, to restore us to service after we have fallen. It's amazing how this ends. With David going to Rabbah and then returning again with his soldiers to Jerusalem. That's how it ends. And so David, by God's grace, Bathsheba, their first baby, and their second are all brought into the story of Christ by grace. And when you believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, trust in him. He takes you and me to vile sinners and brings us into the story of Christ because he's a gracious God. And the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord And in due time, he will lift you up. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for this story of two babies and how you give us hope in both. 
the first one who died and the second one who lived. And thank you that because of Jesus Christ, there's hope in both situations. There's life. There's even joy. Father, minister to us by your grace and Holy Spirit. Give us faith in Christ that we too may know and experience and enjoy this hope day by day in our lives. Lord, lift us up so we can go out and serve the Lord with gladness each day. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.